thank you for tuning in to the Voice of the Victim podcast. We discuss a lot of sad and potentially triggering things on this show. We try to be as sensitive and cautious as possible, but if you are sensitive to things involving abuse and may be triggered, please think twice before listening to our show. There are over 700,000 sexual offenders in the United States alone. With all the social media these days, how can we protect ourselves and our children from these despicable predators? Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast, where we discuss criminal cases that involve some factor of abuse. Our goal is to spread awareness of abuse that could be taking place around any of us and encourage everyone to take responsibility and report if they see a child or an adult being abused. When we talk about abuse, we often learn about a lot of negative consequences it has on a victim's life. It's an inevitable part of facing this kind of unnatural and unfair treatment. It can have irreversible and devastating effects. But survivors can also learn to turn their scars into a sign of their strength for having survived through a period of abuse. This week, we learned that a survivor can use their own experience to fuel their desire to help others recover from their own life traumas. Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. I am your host, Rosie, and this is your host. Is this a new thing now? Uh, (laughs) I'm Ryan, and this week is a really special episode because it's our second uh, listener story that we're going to be sharing. As you heard in the intro, there's a lot we can learn from her story, and really excited to share it with you. Yeah, this was a really eye-opening story, and it taught me and Ryan both some things that we never really thought about. And just the positive things that can come out of your life even after you've endured some sort of abuse. And so we think it will be really inspiring for a lot of our listeners and uh, just another great example of um, how we can move forward after facing traumas like this. Mm -hmm. So do you have anything else to say, Rosie, before we jump into it? No, I'm excited for our listeners to hear Liz's story. Yeah. So please definitely, um, after you... Listen to this, share your feedback with us. Um, Liz would love to hear your positive words. And here's the interview. I grew up in, in Mexico. Um, so, you know, the Mexican culture, it's very, you know, the man is, it's what he says. Uh, the man of the house, he has control over the whole situation, the whole family. So that was one factor. My dad, he had a, a not so great childhood. Um, his father died when, I don't call him grandpa because I never, I never met him. I don't know much about him either because my dad doesn't really talk about him. He passed away when my dad was nine. And so my dad was in, in third grade and, you know, he had a, a lot of um, siblings and he was one of the oldest. So my grandma, you know, she took him out of school. My dad dropped out of third grade. And interesting fact, she didn't really pick up on his rating till about 10 years ago. So oh, wow. that was good. <laughs> yeah. 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 And at this point, he's uh, he's 66 now. So oh. he, he dropped out of school when uh, he was in, uh, in uh, third grade. And he started uh, working. And we come from a really tiny town that barely made it into Google Earth. (laughs) 
it's tiny. It's like everyone knows everyone. And my maternal grandpa actually was like the founder of that little village. Oh, wow. Yeah, he, he donated a lot of his land and that's how they built the elementary school I went to. And my, my dad started working. He would go up into the hills and he would, you know, cut up wood and then he would come back and, and sell it, you know, as firewood because uh, being in the middle of nowhere, there wasn't much electricity around that time. And, you know, he started working pretty young and that's actually how he met my mom. Um, he would sell firewood to my grandpa and... My mom told me that, you know, when he was younger, he had this beautiful smile and he has uh, honey colored eyes. So she she took the bait <laughs> and he's uh, he's actually uh, six years older than her. But, you know, back then they used to get married pretty young. So they got married and, you know, they started having kids, my siblings. I'm the youngest out of six. Oh, big oh. family. So I know that he, he started becoming, you know, uh, physically abusive. I'm pretty sure even before I was born with uh, my older siblings, um, specifically one of my brother. I think now, now I really think that my dad saw a lot of himself in my brother. Mm. He was kind of mm. like the target child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, my brother had, you know, the same temper as my dad and you know he was a preteen and uh just uh, you know doing whatever he wanted what we do you know when we're 12 13 <laughs> thinking that we know everything mm-hmm. and he's the one that got most of the physical abuse sometimes he would just be sitting around playing and my dad would just you know take out his anger on him you know surprise him from behind and just uh, hit him and and sometimes with my sisters as well. I had three older sisters, and then it's my two brothers, and then me. So you know, my sisters were pretty scared of him, and um, they would try oh, not to not to make him mad and things like that. But um, I didn't start noticing the drinking until I was about four, and you know, I I would go to the parties with him because I was the youngest one, and so and and I I think I, I was born around the time when you know they were going through that midlife crisis, so they were going through parties and, and things like that. Because my mom yeah. had me at she had me at thirty five. Oh wow. Okay. So um, that was that. We're going to the parties and you know them getting drunk. My mom sometimes would drink with my dad. And mm-hmm. I don't know how out of all those times we made it home alive. You know, my dad was yeah. drinking and driving. <laughs> yeah. So where were you when you were at these parties? You're just hanging out, so just kind of in the background, I'm assuming. Yes, yeah. Just yeah. watching kind of in the background. Yeah. Huh. Now and then when I hear that music from those parties, I, I can't stand it. Yeah, it reminds me. <laughs> And so throughout the years, like between four and eight, there were some some good memories. I do have some good memories. Uh, my dad owned a piece of land where he had cattle. And um, one time we went out there, him and my mom, and we kind of had a picnic on this side of a mountain. It was beautiful. So I have good memories, but most of them are not so good. And that brings me to where I started noticing, you know, my dad being abusive towards my mom. It was uh, the season where, you know, they were planting and the crops and such things. My dad would usually get pretty drunk. That was the season when he would drink the most. Uh, He would drink up to three, four days straight. And he would come home and, you know, he would beg my mom to have dinner ready for him. And one of those nights when he came home, um, he'd been drinking for about three days. He he was eating and my mom was sitting beside him because that's where he wanted her to be. And um, this time, three of my siblings were already here in Texas. Two of my sisters and my older brother, the one that was, you know, the target child. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He left. 
So he did good on that. And so it was just one of my sisters, my brother, and me. So my oldest sister was 20. My brother was about 11, and I was six. So you were yeah, like no baby, kidding. baby in the family. Yeah, yeah, I was, mm-hmm. I was, I'm the baby. My oldest sister and I, there's a 17-year gap between us. Wow. Mm. That time, they, my mom, you know, cooked dinner for him, and we were all in the living room. We were watching TV. She was in the dining table with him, and we could hear them arguing. And I remember that the lights in the living room were off, so just the light from the, the kitchen and the dining room was coming through. Um, it was, you know, pretty dim, mm-hmm. but he was, you know, he was arguing with her and he always had a lot of jealousy issues. And we had this small convenience store and public phones where, you know, that was kind of like our business. And, you know, my mom would tend to all these things and he was she's just a good wife and good mother. Mm-hmm. And she basically ran the business because my dad was drinking and whatever. So he would, you know, accuse her that all oh, she would talk to the guys that would come by the store. Mm. And, you know, sorry, she had good customer service. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure one thing led to another. And he told my 12 year old brother to go grab his gun because um, he was going to kill my mom. So, you know, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. He had guns in the house. So mm-hmm. Not a bright idea. And, you know, my brother just kind of froze he he didn't go of course and so my dad got up and you know he kicked the table and he grabbed my mom and he pulled her and he threw her on the ground and he said he was gonna kill her and he said a whole bunch of unpleasant words Mm -hmm. and my mom has long curly hair and so he he grabbed her by her hair and he dragged her across the living room in front of us, telling us that, that you know, he was going to kill her. And that memory is, like, in my mind. And I don't know how it got solved or how he calmed down. But the next day, it was another day, and it was like nothing happened. And we didn't talk about it. You being a little girl and witnessing that, was that um, in a way, like, normal after that? Um, yes, sadly. Yeah. Yes, you know, it became normal where, you know, he would drink and they would fight. I mean, I don't know what an alcoholic was, of course. Throughout the years, you know, it it became normal, you know, drinking, going to parties, then coming home and then fighting because she was looking at someone or someone was looking at her a certain certain way. And just later on, um, one of my oldest sisters was actually born here in the U.S. She was a U.S. citizen, so she was able to apply for them to get a green card. And so my parents were able to come to the U.S. and, and, you know, they would leave us at home and my uncle, my grandparents would kind of watch over us. And one time when they were home, like my dad was so drunk and he actually fired a gun inside the room with my mom inside the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and it was a two story house at that time. My mom took the stairs and she she left that house. Behind our house, there was um, a small creek and another field, and she cut across, and this is in the middle of the night, and we couldn't find her for two days, and my aunts and uncles actually thought my dad really had killed her and dumped her body somewhere. And, you know, and I think now you can still see, like, the holes in the wall where, you know, he fired the gun. Oh, my gosh. Thank goodness it didn't hurt anyone that was in the house. Yeah, oh, that was my poor mom. Like, she, she went through so much. That's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine. You know, I don't I don't know how she did it. And you know, and she still wake up the next day and put on a face where, you know, nobody would ever think she was going through all those things. I mean, people 
knew that he would drink, but they didn't know what was going on inside the house. And, you know, it was a beautiful house and we had a good little business going on. They thought we we had it good. Mm. And the kids at school, I remember they always thought that, you know, oh, I was so lucky to have all these toys and things that I wanted. But uh, that's rough that people from the outside think that everything's fine and inside you're struggling so much. And, and, you know, and I, and we wouldn't talk about it, so I couldn't talk to anyone about it. And, you know, I just kind of put on this uh, mask and pretend that, yeah, you know, I'm lucky I have all these things con- uh, compared to, you know, the other kids I'm going to school with. And so um, in 2001, my dad came over to Texas to uh, work and, you know, kind of help us because we were struggling a bit financially. And he was over here for a few months working, staying with my with my sisters. And my mom had kind of been, you know, things were okay. Things were calm because, you know, my dad wasn't coming home drunk. So it was a little bit of peace. And, you know, and she would cook whatever we wanted because, you know, my dad wasn't there. And it was just kind of a normal couple of months. I mean, I was going to school and things were running smoothly. And when my mom actually learned how to drive. <laughs> and, you know, and she was in her 40s. Wow. She was in her 40s, and, and it goes back to the same thing, you know, that man did everything. Yeah, it's so weird to think about now. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and there was a lot of the women like that. They didn't know how to drive until, like, you know, we kind of got updated. And they didn't learn how to drive until they were, like, in their 50s. Oh, mm-hmm. a tough time to be a woman. Mm-hmm. Especially in such a tiny town like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's interesting. Society is an interesting thing. Yeah. But I know that there was a lot of families like that, like, you know, a lot of where the dad, you know, would hurt the mother and the kids because, you know, I would hear about it, but we wouldn't talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, to each their own. It was their own business. What happened inside the house didn't get out of the door. Yeah. that And that seems like that's part of the problem is that no one talks about it and mm-hmm. it just gets swept under the rug and keeps getting worse. Yes. And so, you know, we had this whole generation of kids I was going to school with that, you know, it was normal to them, you know. And eventually, I'm sure those boys would grow up into being their fathers, you know, being uh-huh. the same way. And, right. and you know, and the girls the same growing up to be the mom and, you know, just kind of being tied down to a rough situation. And so we were OK at that time. And my mom was she would go every Sunday to the little market and buy groceries. And sometimes she would be gone a little longer than normal. But, you know, it was whatever. Things were good. We didn't question her. And one day, I believe it was um, it was August, August 28th of 2001. And I was about a week away from being eight because my birthday's in September. She was going to go pay uh, the bills for the store and the little, you know, the public phones that we had that people would use because, you know, we didn't have mm-hmm. home phones and things like that. And she for that, she would have to go to another bigger town that was about two, three hours away, which is beautiful, by the way. A lot of my good childhood memories come from that place, you know, going as a family. And so she left that morning before I went to school and... You know, she said bye to us and she said, you know, I'll see you guys later. Take care. And I went to school. My sister was working at the store. My brother went to school as well. And uh, I was in I was in third, was second grade or third grade. So the school was actually across uh, the street from um, where I grew up. So, you know, I felt like a big girl because I was walking to school. But really, it was just across the street down the, the block <laughs> from my grandparents. <laughs> but still, I was cool. <laughs> and so I went to school and... I came back home 
and my mom wasn't back yet, which was fine because, you know, it was a couple of hours away. And so it started getting dark and my mom wasn't home yet. My oldest sister told my brother, hey, you know, go get our uncle and our grandpa. Something weird's going on. So they went over to the house and, you know, because we had the little convenience store, it was kind of a pit stop for like 18 wheelers and buses and things like that. It was the only mm-hmm. big road that ran through that town. And so a lot of buses were stopping and we were hopeful that, you know, she would get off. And mm. it was nighttime and she never came back. Oh. And so um, <clears throat> my sister called my sisters over here in Texas and told them, hey, you know, my mom left. And all she took was just her wallet and the outfit she was wearing. So, you know, we were we we didn't know if she was taken or if she had left because she wanted to. Wow. And so as a 7-year-old, how are you feeling? I mean, I didn't understand. All all like I remember is hearing my uncle said he kind of looked at my grandpa and said she probably left with another guy. Mm. And this uncle, she grew up with him. They were pretty close, you know, it was her brother closest in age and they grew up together and they had a really good relationship so in my head right now that i'm thinking about it i wonder if he kind of you know had an idea of what was going on and we called my sister and we told her and she waited for my dad to come home from work so she could give him this great news (laughs) and uh, i I believe the months he had been here he had kind of sobered up a little so she told him and my dad booked the flight that night and there was an earthquake that night <laughs> and it was i believe in mexico city and you know we're five hours south of mexico city i i, I remember hearing that you know we felt it too i mean of course i didn't feel it because i was sleeping um but it's so symbolic now <laughs> i think about it it's so wow. symbolic <clears throat> and so my dad arrived the next morning and um, you know, he kind of tried to piece it all together and we went to my grandparents' house to kind of talk about it. And at that time, we actually got a call from my mom saying that she hadn't left, uh, you know, against her will, that she had left because she wanted to. Mm-hmm. Did you talk to her on the phone? <clears throat> no, I didn't. She didn't even talk to my dad. She talked to my uncle, the one that oh, told okay. my my grandpa that she'd probably left with someone else. So again, mm-hmm. suspicious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wonder if he knew. I really think he knew. I hadn't thought about those details until now. I feel like an investigator. (laughs) That's such a dissatisfying end, though. Like, just without saying goodbye or telling anyone, just gone. Yes, yes. Like, now, you know, that I'm older, like, I understand why she left. And I don't blame her for leaving because at the rate that things were going, I really think my dad would have eventually killed her. I really think so. And so it's hard to man like that to change. It's very hard. So I don't blame her for that. What it gets me is that she left us, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel like she could have done things differently. And even about a year ago, my oldest sister told me, you know, we were road tripping through New Mexico and there's nothing to see. So we were having conversations about my parents and she told me, she goes, you know, I told her that if she ever wanted to leave, if she didn't feel safe, that we would help her Mm -hmm. out and we would help her out with you guys. But, you know, of course, she chose to do things differently and it was just a big snowball effect on us. Well, that really speaks to your character, being able to see it from both sides now. But still, it would have been nice to have some communication for the kids sake to know 
what was going to happen. Yeah, and I mean, like, you know, of course, I didn't know these conversations were going on. I mean, I was seven. Uh, all I cared about was playing outside with my brother and getting my homework done. But my sisters, you know, were older. They had seen what my dad could do because, you know, they had been victims, too. So uh, they were talking yeah. about these things. Even nowadays, I'm still finding out things I didn't know. <laughs> and I think it's because my sisters still see me, you know, as a little girl and they think it's going to hurt me, you know. They don't want to share these things with me, but, you know, I've gotten on to them about, you know, telling me yeah. these things because it's yeah. important to talk about it, not only for me, yeah. but for them as well to let it out. And so <clears throat> my mom leaves and it all breaks loose. Uh, my dad started hearing the rumors that she had been seeing someone and we, he kind of figured out who it was and you know of course that connected all the dots for him um because i know that at one point they came home from a party like really angry fighting and i remember i woke up because the the yelling was so loud and it was because he accused my mom of talking to this guy and it was actually the same guy that she left with Mm. so i don't remember i think that's the time that my sister stood up for my mom and my dad actually punched my sister and she passed out oh Oh my gosh and, and and she was 20. <laughs> she was a woman. <laughs> you know, my dad doesn't discriminate. So. <laughs> so, but he never like got in trouble for assault or anything? Oh, uh, no. I, I don't think I ever, at my age, I don't think I ever saw a cop. Because it's such a tiny town and people just kind of live by their own personal laws. Yeah. And, oh, and I mean, and it scary. was so normal. It it was it was almost part of the culture, you know. Mm-hmm. It was oh. sadly it was part of the culture. And that's strange. Yeah. So um, my dad started drinking again because you know he was never good at expressing himself. He was never really either you know affectionate with us. I believe he was the most affectionate with me. I was the youngest, and I was always very close to him. I always wanted to be where he was. I was a daddy's girl, but I was also a tomboy. So, you know, he he got the best of both. (laughs) My brother wouldn't want to go with him to, you know, feed the cattle and things like that. And I would go with him. I would go and, you know, I would get to pet the cows and and the babies. And Mm -hmm. those were some good memories when he was, you know, he was sober and I would get to go and do these things with him. But he was never really the kind to come up to you and hug you. It was always, you know, me seeking him out to Mm -hmm. hug him. I feel like it also came from his childhood, you know? My grandma wasn't affectionate with them. She would hit them and one time she threw their food on the floor and told them to eat it. What? Nice lady. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that was that. That was his childhood. Uh, a little rough. And so he started drinking. And so this was all between September, which, of course, I did have a birthday party because mm-hmm. I turned eight. Mm-hmm. And it was just weird to have all these people come over when they all knew that, you know, my mom had left. But my siblings wanted to keep things kind of normal. Yeah. Try to keep it as normal as possible, I suppose. Yeah, and so, you know, my dad was there and, you know, he did drink a bit. He invited his friends to drink. They drank a little. He didn't drink too much. And so I had this party and throughout September all the way to December, he started bringing different women around. And of course, my sister's 20 and she has a problem with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my, my dad actually kicked her out. Oh, wow. Your sister? Yes. You know, my dad was just like out of control. Like, like, I don't know where his head went those months. And my sister stayed with my grandpa 
And of course, me and my brother still had to stay with my dad. Mm-hmm. And he was bringing different women. And, you know, it was women that they just wanted the money. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm assuming that your oldest sister, who was 20, she's kind of taking role as mom at this yes. point? Yes. And even though like she was like pretty, you know, immature still. Yeah. <laughs> she was she she looked over us, you know, she would make sure I was getting to school and that we were eating, things like that. Yeah, it was kind of forced on her and she chose to do the best she could. Yeah. And so then my dad kicks her out. I don't we don't have her there anymore. She was yeah. kind of like our backbone because she was older. And yeah. even though she was going through the same thing as us you know she was older and she was kind of keeping us together so he kind of took it for granted that she was doing all that and kind of helping keep the household stable and did he acknowledge that or did he realize um it it took him a bit because he had he moved the woman into the house with her Uh, kids and (laughs) and uh, i remember when he was dating or seeing this lady um one time my siblings got back home late from church and you know my dad needed them there to watch the house or in the store so he could go on this date and he was so mad that when they got home my sister and my brother he was waiting outside in the parking spot with a rope in his hand and this is like out in daylight in front of everyone what is the rope for uh when my siblings got out of the car, my brother was the one that was driving. And, you know, he was 12. He was driving. And my sister saw the rope in his hands. And she stepped over, you know, around the car in front of my brother. Again, you know, sticking up for us. And my dad hit them with the rope. And this is like rope that you use for like the cattle and horses. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, heavy duty rope. Yeah. And, and yeah. this is in front of everyone that was out there around 6 p.m. <laughs> and 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 he hit them and then he went about his day with you know to go see this woman and nobody did anything or said no. anything uh-uh. nobody said anything so it was really the culture there that this is just normal yes it's hard to imagine yeah <laughs> yeah it was it was pretty normal and my aunt that lived across the street she was actually my dad's sister she kind of tried to help us out, but she was scared of my dad, too, because, you know, she grew up with him. So she knew his temper and she did try. And I give her credit for that. But sadly, n- not much could be done about him. Yeah. And so when that woman moved in, then he noticed that she wasn't what he thought he was. And so she left. And then he begged my sister to come back to the house. Mm-hmm. And so my sister did, you know, to be with us. And and we were so happy to have her back. We missed her a lot, especially my brother. Him and my, my sister, they're really close. There's an eight, nine-year gap in between them. They're really close. And my sister, she's hilarious. And, you know, she's a bit childish, but that's just <laughs> her personality. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. So she moves back in in around January. So it's been four or five months since my mom left and they decide uh, that they're going to come to Texas to work and just kind of get out of that house. Mm -hmm. And so they do. And now it's just me and my dad. I was with him for about eight months, just me and him. And he was, you know, a lot of drinking and a lot of him leaving and I didn't know where he was. And I think one time I stayed at my aunt's house because I didn't know where he was. And you were how old? I was eight. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So he'd just leave you? Yeah, yeah. 
because you know he had uh, some ladies that and girls that that worked for him that worked at the house at the store wow. and at the public phones and these were you know people that that I grew up mm-hmm. knowing and so they would kind of watch over me and I would go to a little uh, taco stand across the street <laughs> and that's where I would eat because wow. you know there was no one home to cook and that's a really paradigm shift from what you grew up with a big family around and then you're by yourself yeah because my my mom would cook every day she would cook sometimes up to three times a day and so the ladies that worked at the store they're the ones that would like you know make sure that i got to school and sometimes they would even brush my hair Mm. yeah and kind of help me because you know i didn't know what i was doing and the lady that would sell food across the street, um, she watched me grow. Uh, they were pretty close to my family. And one time I actually stayed with them because I think my dad got into some trouble drinking and there was no one to look out for me. And so I'm staying at random people's houses. And are you having any contact with your mom at all? Does she ever call or? She called one time and that was that was it. Wow. But it's because she missed it. She wanted to hear my voice and, mm-hmm. and that was yeah. it. And so and still my dad is seeing all these other women. I would stay in the same room as him, but we had, you know, separate beds. And one time he was so drunk. It was uh it had been a rainy day and I remember clearly that it was so clear outside that night. And there was still some lightning and some thunder going on. And I was in the same room as my dad. And he had been drinking all day. And I saw him sit on the edge of the bed. And he was crying. Mm -hmm. And he got up and he walked to the table where he had a gun. And it was a handgun. And he's standing there and I'm seeing his silhouette in the dark. It was like a scene from a movie, like the lightning and sliding up in the room and i can see his silhouette and he put the gun to his head oh my gosh and he knew i was awake and he told me that he didn't want to live anymore that he couldn't do it mm-hmm. oh. and i'm eight and this is a lot for an eight-year-old for anybody yeah <laughs> and i get up i get out of the bed and i'm crying and you know i'm begging him and he's crying too and i took the gun from him and I hit the rifle that he had in that same room under the bed. You know, I didn't know where else to put it. <laughs> and yeah. I put the handgun under the blankets and I took him back to the bed and he fell asleep. And the next morning when I woke up, I didn't see the guns and I was really scared. <sighs> and I go out of the house and he's outside watering the plants, drinking coffee like nothing. Wow. And we never talked about it either. <sighs> It's so traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and yeah. so now when it's raining, I have a hard time dealing with the lightning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can deal with the thunder, but the lightning is what gets me. Yeah. A lot uh, of PTSD. <laughs> so that was one of those moments. But there was this boy that I used to work for my dad. Um, the way that the public phones would work is that people would call, leave a message and say, hey, can you tell so-and-so I'm going to call them at 430, you know, to tell them to be ready. And so what this boy would do is he would go deliver that message. Mm-hmm. And he was around my brother's age. So I had grown up with him around and we used to play outside together and hung out. And so we knew each other. I knew who he was. Um, his dad and his mom had actually worked for my parents as well. So we went back a bit. <laughs> and he's coming around the house. I'm assuming he misses my brother. 
You know, they're not hanging out anymore because my brother's over here in Texas. So I, I started hanging out with them, you know, playing. My dad wasn't home and I knew him and I knew his family. So it was okay. And we were playing and there was this abandoned house next to ours. And when we were in that house, it was, you know, the first time he, he actually touched me. Um, now, when I think about it, he had been grooming me, of course. Mm-hmm paying attention to me. He knew that I was alone, that there was no one there that could really stick up for me. He was about 14 and he, uh, you know, he, he touched me. And uh, I remember that at one point um, he told me to get on my knees and, you know, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. And he, he pulled down his pants, you know, he told me to, I basically performed oral sex, not knowing what it was. Mm-hmm. Well, and you mm-hmm. trusted him. I mean, if he was an older brother's friend, and you've known him forever, probably. Yeah. And I mean, I was eight. Yeah. 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 That's... You're eight years old. I mean, I know you're so... supposed to touch or let someone touch, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. another thing that, you know, my parents never talked about. Obviously, this kid knew what he was doing was wrong if he's 14. I mean, if what 14-year-old is playing with an 8-year-old by themselves and doesn't have bad intentions? It's just odd. And and there were other times. I, I'm sure it was like a couple days, you know, like back to back that it happened until I started mm-hmm. avoiding him. And, mm-hmm. and I started avoiding him after the wars happened, which, I mean, now I know the term for it. He basically raped me mm-hmm. uh, and that's... i was eight and i mean i remember you know it hurt and yeah and so i was like okay you know i don't want to do this again <laughs> and that night i was home and my stomach felt really sick i don't know if it was like you know from all the stress and everything my body went through and uh. and so i showered and i left uh, my clothes on the ground and my dad actually was going to do laundry the next day. And he saw the, the underwear I had been wearing. And I didn't notice, but there was blood. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, there was blood in them. And I thought it was because maybe I had an accident, but I didn't know it was blood. And he just kind of looked at me and he looked ashamed and he didn't say anything. He just did the laundry. Wow. It, like, as an adult, I'm thinking like, what you know like what a parent doesn't have a red flashing light going off in their head like something's happening to my child yeah he didn't say anything nothing he just he just looked ashamed (laughs) and so you know because i was a daddy's girl i wanted his approval i so i told myself i'm you know i'm never coming around this boy again maybe it was more that than the fact that he had hurt yeah well Mm. and did it make you feel like it was your fault yes i felt like uh, i was i was in the wrong and so the the evening later on after he did laundry when he you know we didn't have dryers so we would hang the clothes outside on the line i saw the underwear and in my head what i did is i grabbed them and i threw them away because i mean for me they represented the shame i saw in my dad and I try to avoid that boy again. And so I'm back to being alone, you know, just me. 
Did you tell any of your siblings what happened? No, no, I mm-hmm. didn't. I didn't have much communication with them. My dad would be the one that would like talk to them. If my dad looked ashamed of me, you know, why would I tell my sibling? True. Yeah. And and so I figured, you know, I knew it was wrong, <laughs> but um, I avoided that boy. And so I was back alone and, you know, I didn't want to be alone. And so, and my dad was still, you know, going out of the house and drinking. And there was another boy that sometimes would come around and hang out with my brother. And a lot of people thought he was a bit weird. Like, you know, he had mental issues, but I mean, he was, he was fine. He, there was nothing wrong with him. And, um, he would come around and, and of course, you know, I love watching the Powerpuff Girls. He would watch TV with me. And one time he sat on the couch with me and, you know, I guess in my head, I'm thinking, oh, you know, I don't want him to leave me either. And, and so I let him touch my leg and he touched my leg and, and it started there. Like, you know, he would, he felt me over my underwear and, you know, I kind of had an idea of what was going on this time. And in a way, I feel like it was because, you know, I didn't want to be left again. And in my head. It makes sense if this is what they want to stay around, I guess, what I'm supposed to do. And, and it goes back were... to, to the abandonment issues, you know? Yeah. Because my mom left me. And you were so young, and this is the kind of influence you're getting from older people. And to you, it's starting it's to logical. seem like it's normal. And it's yeah. logical. And so uh, I, I, I started that one. I instigated that one. But of course, he was older. He should have known better you know mm-hmm. yeah. totally and you know he did feel me up a, a couple of times but it wasn't the same way as the other one the one that you know that raped me and one time we were sitting outside and i'm sitting next to him and he's touching my leg and all i felt was just a sting on my back and it was my dad with the belt he saw that the boy was touching me and he hit me mm-hmm. <sighs> he hit me first and then he hit the boy but he hit me <laughs> Well, the guy was touching me, you know? Again, Mm -hmm. reinforcing the idea that this is your fault and Mm -hmm. instead of protecting you from him. It was, it was basically, it was my fault and because I'm a girl and it's always the woman's fault, you know? (sighs) Again, kind of cultural type. (laughs) And so that evening, he didn't speak to me. He wasn't even in the same room as me. We didn't Uh. talk about it. I just remember seeing him drinking mm-hmm. and, and that was it. And the next day I tried really hard to like make sure he wasn't mad at me. You know, I wanted his approval. Mm-hmm. Oh man, and, I'm sorry. And, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's all kinds of messed up. <laughs> yeah. And then a few weeks later, like things got back to normal. We never talked about it. I didn't talk to anyone about it. Um, and, you know, I never... Sh- the boy wasn't allowed to come to the house ever again, of course. And so um, a few months later, my dad was seeing another lady and she had kids. So, I mean, that was okay. You know, I could play with kids and be around kids and it was good for me in a way. Um, but, you know, my dad's still drinking. And so we went back to the house because he had to go grab some more beer. And I'm sitting in the back of the truck and there was this guy he was the brother of the lady that my dad was dating i had always seen him around all my childhood uh he worked for my dad so a lot throughout the years and you know they were kind of friends and i know this time he was just you know around my dad with a free beard he was you know he was an adult you know he was married he had kids and it was a beautiful night outside and i was in the back of the truck waiting for my daddy come back from the house because he just went to grab beer and we were going to leave. 
And that guy is there. And I'm sitting and I'm looking up. It's a beautiful night. The sky was clear. A lot of stars out. And like, it was a full moon. And it was so clear that like, I could see everything in front of me. And and I was wearing this little uh, tank top. I don't wear tank tops anymore. Um, And I felt a hand on my shoulder. And his hand kind of, you know, went down through the, what's supposed to be the sleeve, I guess. And he groped my breast. I mean, I was eight. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't have anything going on there. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah. And he was uh, married with kids? Yes, he was married with kids. Um, and so he, he groped me. And I mean, I already had had experiences in the past. But that one really did make mm-hmm. me feel uneasy. It just didn't. I don't know. It, it was just different. Well, it was different. Well, this time it was a, a legitimate adult that you know knows better Mm -hmm. and and so even now i hate when like people sneak up behind me um when they put their hand on my shoulder and like you know like surprise me from behind or if they put their hand on my waist i can't do it um not too long ago about a year ago i finally got over people walking too close behind me and and it's because i mean i work at a hospital so you know the hallways there's always a lot of people and and i didn't get over it till about a year ago well and yeah i mean you have to cuz if you're working at a hospital there's people always walking <laughs> that must've been hard i mean mm-hmm. i do fine in crowds because i like mm-hmm. concerts so i kind of have to deal with it but feeling someone at a certain distance close behind me makes me uneasy it makes me feel anxious and it makes me feel unsafe Mm. and that's what i don't like i don't like feeling unsafe and so after all that abuse my mom actually came back to texas and you know she told my siblings that she wanted to be with us that she was sorry that she had left us and so my dad said you know what let's all move to texas and be together and i was okay with that because you know it meant my dad hopefully was going to stop drinking at this point, how old are you? I'm um, still eight. This was all in the oh, span okay. of a year. Oh, oh wow. wow. This is like a really long year for you. Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> and so we decided to come to Texas. And, of course, you know, it, it had to be done the unlawful way, at least for me. So get this. I crossed the border three times illegally. Wow. At eight. A different that, time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, this was, you know, back in 2002. Mm-hmm. I, I, I crossed the border illegally like three times. Like the first two times weren't successful. The third time was when finally like I made it through with no issues. And I'm, you know, I'm only eight and I'm walking through. Yeah. I'm crossing the river, like legit was it scary? crossing the and, river. Yes, yeah. it was it was scary. It was just me and a 17 year old girl and the guy that was helping us cross. You know how many things could have gone wrong? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that it worked out for you. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So the first time I actually got to walk through a piece of the desert at eight. So, so all wow. kinds of, I went through, man, I went through so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and you know, and I don't, I don't, I don't see it that way because you know, how I, I shaped up in, into, you know, the last couple of years. That's really amazing. And now I'm, I'm you know, I'm proud to say, you know what, I, I crossed illegally. Yeah, I would too. I'll tell them, be like, guys, I'm like legit Mexican. I crossed through the <laughs> desert. <laughs> That's what I tell wow. them at work. And now it's funny because I'm, I know U.S. history better than I know Mexico's history. <laughs> yeah. Sure. But just for the record, I'm legal now. Just, you know, throwing it out there. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually a dreamer. So that's how I'm going to school and how I'm working. 
But I, I finally crossed and get this, you know, back then um, when I was in school in Mexico, I was so unkept after my mom left that like I was just infested with lies. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm eight and I'm a girl and I have long hair and just I hate feeling crawly things on me oh, because yeah. of that. <laughs> and so, um, you know, when I got here, it's the first thing my mom did, make sure got rid of all that and i was taken care of physically and after being with me for a week she left again oh my gosh are you serious with the same guy oh wow i can't catch a break (laughs) so not only am i dealing with her leaving and then leaving again and then all the abuse i went through and then seeing my dad drunk Mm-hmm. crossing the border moving to a new country the new culture the new school system and i'm only eight years old and it's so much yeah i i can't imagine i can't believe she left again <laughs> yeah she left again yeah. and after she left you know my dad was like you know what i'm gonna go back to mexico and he left me here with my siblings mm. wow and up to this day i feel like i still resent my dad for that because he had the choice to stay with me mm-hmm. and he yeah. chose to leave me and so uh. I was raised by my oldest sister and my brother-in-law mm-hmm. and, and, you know, they had kids and uh, their oldest daughter is actually a year older than me. My niece is older than oh, me. Oh, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> so we grew up as sisters and, you uh-huh. know, her and my sister, my brother-in-law, they eventually adopted me when I was 16. And That's so, nice. you know, when I introduced them to my friends, they're my parents mm-hmm. because they, wow. they raised me. They loved me through my worst at my lowest and they put me back together mm-hmm. after everything I went through. Wow. But my siblings, we were each other's rock. We wouldn't have made it without each other. And and even later on, two years later or one year later, my mom came back again. And you know, we want our mom in our life. Yeah. And she was yeah. with us for a few months and then she left again. Wow. <sighs> Obviously your mom's got a lot of stuff going on yeah. in her own world. It was like you know, constant abandonment. So my, yeah. after that last time, my sister told her not to come back anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's it's frustrating to keep getting your hopes up and, and getting it ripped away. Yeah. And she actually had a, a little girl this last time she came by. Uh, she had a daughter. My, wow. you know, my, my half sister. And <laughs> so... How old was she when... Because she, she was 35 when she had you? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I know, right? She had uh, my little sister when she was about 46. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So it was a risky pregnancy, but yeah. my little sister is great. She's uh, super smart. And um, I think in a way it's good for my mom to, you know, kind of get a second chance at being a mother in a way. And after that, I did see my mom one time because uh, my brother, you know, wanted to see her and he reached out to her and we saw her just for a day and that was it. Um, and we would talk every now and then I would go through phases where I was happy to talk to her and then I wouldn't want to talk to her. I wouldn't want anything to do with her, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's understandable. Yeah. And when I was 11, I was actually, you know, very, uh, depressed and I did, uh, try to slip my wrist and, um, you know, I had to get medical help and, and I did therapy for a couple of months and I was actually put on antidepressants at 11. And I still remember a lot of, you know, the things that we talked about and I didn't understand that, you know, depression was considered an illness type of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I remember I told the therapist, I was like, how are you going to give me medicine for like, you know, 
it's not something physical because I didn't understand. Even like nowadays, a lot of people are still ignorant about that. Yeah, I was a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and so I started, you know, medicine and, and therapy and I really kind of got it together. And that's good. Uh, the next couple of, of years, my teen years, was a lot of ups and downs. And, you know, my dad would come and, and go. He would come and visit every other month. And he was still trying to kind of make decisions for me, but he wasn't providing <sighs> for me, you know. And, and it was just a big change and, you know, cultural and everything about my life changed. And, you know, a new language because I didn't speak English. Mm -hmm. and, and so... <laughs> Um, I went through all that and, and just throughout my teen years, I, I struggled a lot with depression and feeling unworthy and I didn't talk about my abuse until I was 19. Wow. Wow. So you like really kept it bottled up for a long time. Yes, because when I would think about it, I knew it had happened and I would try not to remember it. And when I would think about it, it was like I was seeing it happening to someone else. I never mm -hmm. made it personal, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would view it from like a third person point of view. Sure. It yeah. feels like a dreamer. Yes. And, and it was like, a, it, I feel like it was like a coping mechanism. Disassociating. Yeah. I had it all bottled up inside me. And one time I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And it was like in, around October of 2012, October 8th. I'm good with dates, guys. I'm really good with dates. Yeah. I have good memory. Um, I think the PTSD, they had to get something good out of it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I finally couldn't do it. And just, I had been reading about, you know, other people going through similar things. And it's like this big thing unlocked inside me. And I just couldn't hold it in anymore. And I mm -hmm. grabbed my sister, my oldest one, the one that adopted me. I'll call her my adoptive mom. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I told her, I was like, hey, can I talk to you? And she was, you know, her face changed. And it looked like, you know, she's like, okay, what's going on? And we're in the living room. And I just, I started crying. And I told her everything I went through. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, I think she kind of had a feeling of who it was. And she asked me, hey, was it so-and-so? And she just, she broke down and cried mm -hmm. for me. Because, I mean, you don't want yeah. your little sister slash daughter <laughs> to go through something yeah. like that and holding it in for so many years. And I feel like that was also why I never like truly was able to cope with the depression and such, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, from such a young age. Yeah, because when you go to therapy, you know, you're the, the, the way it works is you're supposed to talk about everything. And mm -hmm. that's kind of how you get it out of your system and you start the healing process. And I'm a big believer of therapy. It works. Yes, me too. <laughs> I always tell people I'm like therapy, it's, you know, it saved my life a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my sister, she, you know, she cried and she hugged me. And then when her husband came home, which my adoptive dad, she told him and, you know, and he cried too. And, and he was just, you know, so different than my actual dad. He actually took into consideration like feelings and, and such. Yeah. So it was a whole different uh, family structure. You know, it was good for me. It was what I needed. And so I, I let all that out and it was just so much. And I didn't know how to cope with it. And even though I was 19 and I didn't know how to deal with it. The two days after that, on October 10th, I actually started cutting myself. Because, um, you know, the thing about 
suicidal thoughts is you you think about it but however you know you're not gonna do it or mm -hmm. for me that's the way it was like I knew I wasn't gonna actually go through with it because I actually wanted to live despite all these negative things I I started cutting and I was so numb. I think was it was it Kate that that said that that it's like you don't feel anything. Like you're so numb to the pain, and 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 you just want to feel something. Right. And it was it was like a high. It was when I could feel, and I felt like I was in control. And so many people hurt me throughout the years. That this time I want to be the one, the only one who can hurt me. Mm -hmm. And I started cutting, and it was up to a point to where. I was cutting every time I was going into the bathroom. Mm. Mm. And so, you know, my legs were a mess and it would hurt to wear jeans because it was rubbing up against mm, the cuts. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I went through that for uh, several, several months. And July 30th of this year, I actually celebrated five years since the last time I cut. Wow, congratulations. That's, yeah, that's Thank amazing. you. <laughs> <laughs> and I say celebrate because it's like, overcoming an addiction yeah, yeah it totally. is something to celebrate it's yeah and and it's because that was for me that was my drug that was my way out that's how mm -hmm. i would deal with all the pain all the emotional pain that's how i would you know exhibit that pain mm -hmm. physically and and you know i struggled a lot with depression and i still take medication for it um depression and anxiety because um a few years ago when i moved out of my parents' house, or, or, you know, my sister and brother-in-law, I was, I started struggling with anxiety and I realized that I was kind of drinking to deal with it. Cause you know, it would like, the drinking would kind of slow things down for me because I was, you know, my heart was being crazy and I was having trouble like getting anything done because I couldn't deal with the anxiety. Yeah. And I've always been good at recognizing when I need the help. Yeah, that's a good quality to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, you know, honestly, a lot of people, that's the issue. They don't realize they need the help or they don't realize they have a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I was always good about realizing I need help. I'll be like, hey, mom, you know, I need to go to therapy or I need this or whatever. And, and you know, of course, you know, they would they helped me through therapy. And when I was 17, I had a really good therapist, uh, Dr. Potts. She saved my life. And I'm so grateful for her because uh, she just, you know, I was a little bit older. So therapy was a little different, but she helped me so much. And even nowadays, I still, um, when I'm having a bad day, I still remember the things she told me and the little hobbies that she helped me create, like creative things like uh, painting and drawing and to get my mind off those things. So now when my mom sees cool. me with a sketchbook, she's like, are you struggling? <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> she knows. I'm like, no, yeah. mom, I'm, I'm actually doing it because I want to, because I enjoy it. <laughs> so every time she sees me with a sketchbook, she thinks I'm having a rough day. <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> I'm like, man, I can't do anything. <laughs> it's really cool, though. Have that creative outlet really makes a difference. Yeah, it helped me so much. And, and I'm so grateful for doctors like her that she just she took such a nice like good interest in me and and she helped me out through so much she mm. kind of put my life together at that age and one mm -hmm. thing i remember about her she told me she goes all these things all these bad things that happen in your childhood they're the foundation of your life it's not a good foundation and every time you go through a different, you start a different phase of your life. You're going to have some setbacks, but you can get through it. You know, remember mm -hmm. that it's going to pass. Wow. And so 
every time I've hit like a, a certain age, I recognize these setbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, like, because it happened like around when I was 21, when I was 24. And, and it's interesting, you know, the way she put it out for me. And it is yeah. my foundation. And I'm not ashamed of it. And I've learned to embrace. I've learned to get the best out of it. Yeah, good for you. That's such a cool perspective because it's realistic. It's not like just, you can do this, you can get over it. It's like, yeah, you're going to face troubles. But if you're expecting them, they're a lot easier to deal with than if you think it's going to be smooth sailing. She she helped me recognize, like, you know, when I was going to have hard times. And and I'm so grateful for her. And I I wish I I could see her again just, you know, to thank her (laughs) for everything. And I remember a few months ago I was talking to um, one of the the doctors I I worked with in the hospital. And I told her, I was like, Dr. Potts really saved my life. So if she ever hears it, thank you, Dr. Debbie Potts. You're the best. You're... (laughs) You have no idea of the impact you made on my life. I'm forever grateful. That's awesome. With you. Because she saved my life. Because I still, when I'm having low days, I always remember her and the things she taught me and how to cope. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm grateful. I'm so grateful for her. Yeah. Especially, you know, even now that, you know, I'm doing things on my own. I'm working on lowering the dose of the antidepressants. And, and I've been doing great so far. And I'm proud That's of myself. Cool. Yeah, yeah. As you should be. That's so cool. Your whole story is really inspirational. And for people to hear it, it will give them hope. And, and the reason I, I decided, like, I wanted to share this, it's because uh, my brother, the one, you know, that, that was there with me through it all the one you know that was uh, five years older than me he hasn't dealt with things the same way i have he turned to drinking and he turned to drugs and he gets his life together for a few months or years and then he goes back to the same thing mm-hmm. and and i want people to know that you know it's not always the same outcome because mm-hmm. i'm still trying to understand how is it that i was kind of able to like deal with it and i've struggled but i i dealt with it in a way a little better than my brother has you know yeah and he's my brother and i love him and i care about him and i wish that he would you know try to see the bigger picture and the -hmm. difference between him and i is that he still blames a lot of his actions on the things he went through in the past and it's been an issue that kind of has like you know like split up my my siblings in half because Mm -hmm. you know they feel some of them feel bad for my brother and they want to be on his side. And, and then there's, you know, the logical part of my siblings that say, hey, you know, he is an adult. He needs to realize that his actions have consequences and that he can't blame others in the past oh, yeah. for these things. And I remember one time my sister threw it out there because she was angry at this point and she said well look at look at Liz she went through all these things she went through and some more and you know she didn't turn to the drinking and the drugs and she had Mm -hmm. to learn how to cope with things I've never been a fan of being compared and Mm -hmm. but I mean sadly there can be so many outcomes to these situations you know and it's not so much a comparison as like an example of you know a good example we all cope differently and we all mm-hmm. deal with things differently in you know in my brother the one that was the target child he actually he's not the one with the you know with all these issues it's the other one the one closest in age to me 
he tried to help my brother, you know, taking him to meetings for alcoholics and, and, you know, it hasn't worked. And the way I feel is sometimes you can't help someone if they don't want to be helped. They have to want to be helped and they have mm-hmm. to help themselves too. Because I mean, for example, the antidepressants for me, they can only do so much. Half of the work mm-hmm. has to come from me. Yeah. And it's exactly. the same way. The same way I feel about my brother. He has to want to get better. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he's done it before. He's sobered up before. So, you know, I feel like he also has to make peace with a lot of things. And, and it's very hard to make peace with some of these things. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I can imagine. Like, like with, uh, with my mom, she's back in our lives. Um, took her nine years to finally, you know, get it together and apologize. And we see her. She comes and visits uh, every year. And we have a good relationship with him. Mm. That's nice. Yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't really let go of everything that happened until I finally forgave her. And I remember, I love Oprah. I love her. She's a survivor too. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time in her episode, um, she had a special where she had 200 men in the audience that had been victims or sexual abuse when they were oh, children. Yeah. 200 oh, wow. grown men. Wow. And the episode wow. starts out with them in the audience holding up a picture of when they were a kid and usually the picture was around the time when they started being a baby. Mm. Oh, yeah. it kind of gives me goosebumps. That's like, unique. Yes. Like, I've never That's heard... Different. You guys need to see it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I think it's on YouTube. I'll be looking it up. <laughs> yeah, I believe it's on YouTube. Um, 200 men and some of them, it was the first time they were talking about it. You know, their moms, their wives, their boyfriends were sitting in the back. And it was the first time they were hearing about this abuse. Wow. And so I remember, I think it's when she was interviewing Tyler Perry, because he showed up for the special too. Uh-huh. And she said, forgiveness is not for the other person. It's for yourself. Mm-hmm. I believe it's the episode she said it on. I could be wrong, but I still remember those words in that ep- those episodes because they were so special to me, especially coming from men. And, and yeah. she said, forgiveness isn't for the other person it's for yourself and mm-hmm. i finally understood it when i forgave my mom because mm-hmm. she had her own life like i was the one holding on to all these negative feelings mm-hmm. so when yeah. i finally forgave her this huge weight was lifted off of me and i was able to actually have a relationship with her and wow. even though she was absent most of my life i have a better relationship with her than i do with my dad who would come and visit every three months and she knows me better than my dad and, and i see my dad and you know i try to have somewhat of a relationship you know i say hi to him we talk he asked me about work about school and it's that we don't have deep conversations mm-hmm. like i do with my mom and mm-hmm. it's you know he's got a little more affectionate affectionate now because he has a whole bunch of little grandkids that love him mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's funny because like they'll go and sit on his lap and my dad kind of doesn't know what to do <laughs> Aww. So things are a little better now. Mm-hmm. You know, there are days where even my, my sister, the one that kind of took the role of mom in Mexico, she struggles with depression too because, you know, she lived through those things too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when she found out that I had been abused, she felt so guilty that she left me and all these things happened. I was able to talk to her finally about a year ago when uh, she was in the hospital after giving birth to um, her youngest boy. And and I told her, you know, I told her all these things that happened and she felt better, you know, about it because it Mm -hmm. wasn't her fault. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It wasn't her fault that people were going to take advantage of my situation, you know? Right. Right. And so she felt 
a little better. And I've never, I, I hadn't told my brothers about it, just my sisters. And I didn't tell my brother, my oldest one, the target child, until about two weeks ago. I didn't tell him the way it should have been done. I told him because um, I was upset that he was uh, justifying the things my brother was doing, you know, mm-hmm. with the drinking oh, and yeah. the drugs. And so it was like in the spur of the moment thing. But now he knows. My dad, I've never talked to him about it. And I probably never will because, you know, he's older and he gets sick when he stresses out too much with, you know, his blood pressure. And despite everything he put me through, I don't want him to feel guilty, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Well, yeah. It sounds like like Stockholm Syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) But like you said earlier, that's part of the forgiveness thing. Yeah. And if you want to recover from it yourself, you need to forgive. Because, I mean, I get get angry sometimes. And I think if he hadn't been drinking, if he had been home taking care of me, none of that Mm would have happened. Oh, for sure. It's the the shoulda, coulda, woulda. But you know what? The shoulda, coulda, woulda did not exist. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Yeah, it's interesting. I just listened to a podcast myself about forgiveness. And I this whole time, I've, I've always thought, if you forgive someone, it means that you're saying it's okay what you did. Mm-hmm. But I recently, I learned from, I think it's the Life Coach podcast, that forgiveness doesn't mean you're okay with what they did. It's It means you're kind of putting the lid on it and you're saying, let's move on. Mm-hmm. I love you and I don't want to think about it. You know, it's like, yeah, you're not accepting it. I'm kind of working on that, on the forgiveness mm-hmm. part with my dad, because mm-hmm. I know that inside me, I still have some resentment towards him because, you know, my mom left me and he had the choice to raise me and he chose mm-hmm. to leave me. You know, there was nothing, no reason for him to do, even though he's not, you know, I'm not justifying my mom leaving. My dad mm-hmm. had the choice to raise me, and he right. didn't. And so I know one day I'm going to have to let it go, and I'm working on it because I don't like to be resentful. It's mm-hmm. unhealthy. It's so unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And I've forgiven the whole abuse that I was put through, the the sexual abuse at least. Mm-hmm. I, I've made peace with that. And, oh, and the, way, the way I feel is when you're able to talk about it without breaking down, Mm-hmm. you know you pulled through yeah that's the way i feel and now that i'm finally able to talk about it even like you know with my friends sometimes we talk about things and i'm able to talk about it and i feel so proud that i can come out and say it mm-hmm. because yeah. i survived because mm-hmm. like like kate said i'm not you know i'm not a victim i'm, I'm a survivor yeah yeah i that's, survived that's so cool and we really appreciate you being willing to talk about it now and you know it's still not easy for you but mm-hmm. to be able to learn from it and i feel like um people they really can do what they want with their past you know you can use your past to hinder your future like you can use it as a crutch and you can just limp through life and you can drink and you can do drugs and you can say well i had a crappy past Mm -hmm. but in your case you took it and you it was your striding point you used it to get yourself better you were able to use it as a healthy crutch and pull yourself out so i think your story is really going to help a lot of people that's really similar to what I was going to say, but you said it better than I would have. But um, like you said, a lot of people might use it as an excuse for their bad actions in the future. And that's kind of where that forgiveness comes in. That growth is you got to acknowledge that you're struggling before you can address the problem and take care of it. Mm-hmm. And if, if you're not able to forgive and and you're not able to, you know, say I have a problem and I want to fix it, then the process can never begin. 
And I, when I was listening to the life coach, because she's a good little therapist, I like to listen to her. She was telling her listeners about how to forgive someone, you can't just be like, well, you know, I forgive you and then be over. It's a process. It takes a lot of yeah. time. So I admire yeah. you for admitting that. And it know, never ends, done. too. It's yeah. constant maintenance. You have to analyze the situation, the damage mm-hmm. that was done, what could have been done differently, and why it couldn't have been done differently. Mm-hmm. and why people did what they did and then you finally had to realize that nothing's gonna change the outcome because it's already done right and that toxic feeling that you have when you're angry at the person they don't get that feeling Mm -hmm. they don't know that you're you know seething and anger and wishing that they're gonna be hurting you know and you know like i don't want to be conceited or brag or anything but like I'm I'm really proud of myself. I think yeah. I've I'm so thankful for, you know, my parents that raised me because the qualities, you know, some are genetic, but a lot of them is like, you know, the nurture. They shape me up and I think I've turned out okay considering mm-hmm. everything, you know, that I went through. Because so many oh, yeah. people the statistics for people like me that've gone through what I went through they're not so great all the time mm-hmm. you know they yeah. uh, so many people in prison so many drug dealers so many addicts mm-hmm. so many alcoholics have gone through things that i went through and they weren't able to move on from that and i'm so thankful that despite everything i was able to find some stability that helped me push through and even though i still struggle with things uh within me kind of like you know, with, for example, like relationship, I have a hard time opening up and uh, I struggle with letting people in and I'm very guarded. And I'll, I mean, you'll know things about me, but they're superficial things that anyone can figure out. But on a deeper level, it's harder. Like I have to really connect with someone to let them in and to really know me. And, yeah. you know, I, I struggle with that, like relationships, with letting people in and mm-hmm. romantic relationships. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Uh, the way I feel is sometimes with romantic relationships, sadly, I feel like I'm not worthy of being someone's priority. Mm-hmm. If, you know, if my mom, like it goes back to the same thing. If my mm-hmm. mom left me, if I wasn't enough to be her priority, then why should anyone else put me first? You know? Mm-hmm. So my self-worth, sometimes it's hard and I'm working Mm -hmm. on that. I'm working Mm -hmm. on my self-worth. So I have all these things that I'm working on still. And I know I'm always going to have something to work on because of my foundation. Yeah, it's a constant maintenance that you you don't just get it once and then you're good. Yeah, it's a constant thing. It's uh, it's an everyday thing. It's uh, one of my favorite quotes uh, by Vincent van Gogh. It's, I am seeking, I am striving, I am in it with all my heart. You have to push forward or you have to keep going and there's all different of outcomes, but, you know, be the difference. Be the one that made it. And I'm just, I'm grateful. I never thought I would make it to be 25, but here I am talking to you guys. <laughs> yeah. And if your story can inspire just one other person to make the same steps, it's so powerful. And mm-hmm. I mean, your story is amazing. And, and you know, and I want them to understand that there's going to be setbacks. There's going to be low days and there's going to be moments where you feel like you can't do it because I still have those days sometimes. But you know what? One time I heard that the worst day of your life would never last longer than 24 hours. Mm. Yeah. So you can do it. I mean, you you can survive a lot of things. And just think of the worst thing you've been through. If you survive through that, the only way out is through. 
you can do it. Yeah. You should make your own podcast for like inspirational <laughs> quotes. <laughs> you got a lot. I'm a nerd. No, I love it's good. To read. I love it's good. to read. I read a lot. I read a lot of books, a lot of and I love quotes. Mm. I love poetry. I'm even though I'm not good at the whole relationship thing, I'm a bit of a hopeless romantic at heart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it sounds like you're able to take that poetry and apply it to yeah. your life and learn from it. And that's what's so cool about art is it comes from life experience. Yeah. And you know, every now and then I write my own stuff too. <laughs> I, oh, I already got cool. it. Liz's Lessons for Life. Oh, goodness. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. Don't give me bad ideas. <laughs> <laughs> if we can do it, you can do it. <laughs> ah, but thank you guys. Thank you so much for you know what you're doing. It's important to talk about these things, um, especially mm-hmm. nowadays with everything that's coming up on the news mm-hmm. and you know it can trigger things for a lot of people that never talked about what they've been through and you know i don't want anyone to think that they're alone yeah. i mean we always say you're not alone but you can mm-hmm. still feel alone about what mm-hmm. you're going through so yeah you know anyone who hears this you're not alone and you know we've been through some things maybe not the same level like i remember uh, when i heard rosie's story you said about how you know your experience you felt like it wasn't the mm-hmm. same uh intensity as others but mm-hmm. no uh, no situation when it comes to sexual abuse is not worse than others because you know in the end still have to deal with some of the same things that we mm-hmm. all you all we all deal with just like you know you deal with the guilt and the you know the therapy so did i and mm-hmm. that doesn't mean i'm stronger than you or that i'm better than you because i went through more and pulled through no we're all in this together you know no matter man or or woman mm-hmm. no there's no discrimination there's no you know bias in it we all survive we're all survivors regardless of how little or how big the situation was. and yeah. you know thank you for sharing your story and i'm proud of you oh, we're pulling you. through <laughs> Oh, you're like, I just want to like put you in my pocket and listen to you all day. <laughs> no. You really wanted to start that podcast. <laughs> no, I'm really, I'm, I'm proud of you. Oh, thank you. And you're proof that, you know, we can pull through it. We're survivors. Mm-hmm. We, we can make something good out of it. And, and we can all make something good, something that's going to help others and help others be aware that there is help, that you can get help, that you can have a positive outcome out of such an awful situation mm. yeah so thank you yeah well yeah. thank you we really enjoyed talking to you we've gotten don't get sentimental I'm, now don't cry we're gonna get so many people <laughs> that are like liz is the best <laughs> yeah. forwarding email after email to you <laughs> yeah it's hard for us not to get sentimental <laughs> i know like tear it up just a little don't, bit don't do it stop it you're gonna it's like that moment when you know the Grinch when like his heart starts growing he's like he's like and then that moment his heart started growing that's how you're making me feel right now so you work in a hospital now I do I work in a hospital and and it's it's helped me a lot as a as a person um because you know because of the things I went through uh sometimes I can be detached emotionally Mm -hmm. but it, seeing all these people that you know are struggling physically and some of them sometimes i even see people that are struggling uh, emotionally it, mm-hmm. it has me it's helped me develop some some qualities that are important especially after i went through um empathy was a very hard quality to get because of everything i went through yeah. now I'm, I'm proud to say that it's, it's what keeps me going it's what keeps me going back to work the next day empathy yeah. and, cool. and it's important that 
even though, you know, you were a victim, it's important that you don't feel that, oh, I went through something bigger than what you're going through and I made it fine. So, you know, don't complain. No, everyone yeah, has their own monsters. That doesn't monsters. help anyone. Yeah, everyone has mm-hmm. their own monsters to deal with. And, and so um, I, I love where I work and it's good for my mental health. It, it's good to keep me busy, even though my mom complains that I work too much. well that's inspirational though that even after everything you went through you're able to have a job where you're helping other people and you're on your feet it seems like and mentally and yeah because uh, um, the one of the ways that i feel is if one of the best ways to not be focused on you what you're going through is to help others with what they're Mm, going through Mm -hmm. yeah and that's what I try to do. And if I can make one patient smile and one patient laugh and one patient hum along the Adams Family song with me, then I've done something right. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I love people. I, you know, and you think I wouldn't after everything that you know yeah, people really. put me through. I love people and I believe in people. I believe that, you know, they can do something good with themselves. That's really cool. But oh. yes, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> Oh, man. It's been awesome having you on. I thought you guys were going to leave me emotionally drained, but I feel good. You know, I felt more drained when I sent that email with my story. Mm -hmm. The next day, I felt a little bit kind of, you know, because it opened up a lot of things. And I I thought about things I hadn't thought about in a long time. But Mm -hmm. it's good to talk about those things. And so, Yeah. yeah, Rosie relates to that. Yes, I remember yeah. you said that, you know, she had a couple of days where. Yeah, it you know, it's you just kind of lock those things away for such a long time. And then to, you know, find the key to the vault, <laughs> let everything spell out. It's training. And, and so and, you know, and that's why I try to be like very like in, in sync with my emotions, um, with mm-hmm. what I'm feeling. And when I do something questionable, I think, okay, so why did I do this? Oh, because, you know, I was feeling so-and-so or I remember so-and-so. And I try very hard not to take any emotions out on people. So if I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not in a good mood at work, I stay in my corner and, <laughs> you know, I don't want to make anyone feel bad and have them wonder what they did. Yeah. And that's another thing can take from this like what your therapist taught you is Mm -hmm. no matter how how much progress you make you're still gonna have tough days yeah so i'll come Mm. home and i'll start reading quotes (laughs) (laughs) i'll start reading some uh some quotes from rm drake or some edgar Allan poe and i'm good to go the next day (laughs) cool well i think there's a lot that people can learn from this discussion and like i said it's really inspirational and i'm sure that we'll get a lot of good feedback from this Mm-hmm. <laughs> if not they're gonna be like uh don't put her on again please <laughs> <laughs> really doubt it if, but... <laughs> if they do then maybe they should just listen to a different podcast <laughs> i'm like you're okay to the wrong place <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i feel like i've learned a lot no problem thank you for having me guys i appreciate you taking the time to hear all my chaos and you know embrace the chaos <laughs> yeah absolutely and thank you for what you do thank you for taking the time to do uh, this podcast and um you know letting people hear and giving them the voice because some of them never really had a voice and thank you for what you do yeah you're welcome and thank you for sharing your voice (laughs) Uh, this is exactly why we started it is for people like you to come on and i'm excited to hear i know you said that you had two people that wanted to share their story i'm excited to hear the other story Mm -hmm. yeah we actually have it set up for tomorrow Mm -hmm. to talk to them so nice 
Oh, I'm yeah. excited. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to this. I have to tell you, I'm working on my degree for behavioral sciences. And oh, I'm trying to be a, a juvenile probation officer to help uh, oh, wow. teams that are at risk. And so wow. and this job. is also something good I'm trying to get out of everything I went through. Because, you know, yeah. we sometimes we create the monsters in this world. Mm -hmm. And if I can help at least one, then I've done something. You know, I've done mm -hmm. something good. I've fulfilled my purpose. And so that's that's mm -hmm. the lesson. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, exactly. We see so many people that had abuse in their past that yeah. turned into monsters, like you said. But when you see someone learn from it, that's just awesome. And, you know, and that's what I love about what you guys you guys do. Like you talk about the victim, but then you also talk about the side of the abuser, you know, and, and that's what a lot of people miss. They miss that part of the story. And I think it's mm -hmm. so important to have both sides because, you know, that person what made them that way and so and so it's yeah it's so cool yeah that's yeah. what we really like about kate's podcast too because she looks at the people as humans yeah and tries to see their side of it. It, it's like uh one time at work i was listening to uh it was a criminal profile and it was on eileen warnos oh yeah and and one of the ladies at work she's like she's like man she did a lot of bad things i was like yeah she did but she also went through this and this you know yeah <laughs> And and I'm not justifying what she did, but I'm explaining why she could have turned out the way she did. Uh-huh. She had that rocky foundation. Man, she had an awful past. But that's another story for another yeah. podcast. But yes. <laughs> yeah, we should probably wrap this up. <laughs> We're making you late for something. So. No, no, you're good. Uh, No, I, I'm not going to the concert thing until much later. But I was trying to work okay. on an assignment. <laughs> All right. I guess we'll let you go then and have fun at the concert. Oh, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to be on my best behavior. <laughs> it's hard, but I'm going to try. You guys take care, okay? Thank you so much for everything. Yeah. Thank you too. You so thank much. you. So we hope you enjoyed our discussion with Liz. Um, we really did. We learned a lot, like we said, and we don't want to take up too much more time because this episode is running very long. But just want to let you know to follow us on Instagram at VOV Podcast and Twitter at VOV Pod. And email us with your own stories or suggestions for stories we should cover at vovpodcast at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. I just want to say thank you again to Liz for com coming on our show and having the bravery to speak about her abuse and all the things that she went through in the past. She's very much an amazing person and we're really proud to have her on our show. Yeah. When we Never mind. Yeah. I was about to apologize for something, but Rosie told me a couple of days ago that I do that too much, so I'm trying to make it through a whole episode without doing that. You're going to cut that part out, right? No. So, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. <sighs> oh.